I will go ahead and apologize uh, in case there are lots of noises of kids running overhead. We're recording on a different day than we typically record. And so my whole family knows that Monday mornings, you got to be quiet because dad's recording a podcast. And today is Wednesday, <laughs> mm. and my wife is going out to coffee with some friends of hers that she does every Wednesday. She goes, and and the kids were all still in bed when I came down. So there's no telling what's going to happen above me during this. So, you know, mm. I'll say sorry now. And maybe it won't be a problem. But My fault for not recording on Monday. We had, we had some hardwood flooring installed in the bedroom, and oh. I don't... Anytime a contractor has to come and do work on the house, it's always on a Monday. And I always say yes. And then, like, two <laughs> days later, I'm like, no, why did I do that? So I apologize. They took them. Uh, that's fun. They were here at 9 a.m. They were gone by lunch. It was so quick. They were all business. No chit-chat. Wow. They were like, wow. hello, we're here to install the hardwood floor. And then they were out. And it was, they did a great job. And if I would have tried it, I'd still be working on it three or four days later. And I would I would be hating life. <laughs> yeah, they were super efficient. Did I tell you about the windows that we had installed last year? I don't believe so. Maybe. Okay, so when we lived in Savannah, I our house was built in 1962. And it had these single pane, giant sliding, you know, like left to right sliding windows. They're really cool. Lots of light and everything. But they're really inefficient because they were super thin aluminum casings and stuff really thin and so i decided i'm going to replace these windows myself like it can't be that hard you know i'll learn it there's like 23 windows or something i'll learn it as i go and we were buying vinyl replacements this is the long way around for the story but buying vinyl replacements that are not that expensive but they're big so i didn't want to buy them all at one time and have them sit around so I bought them like two or three windows at a time and I would take a weekend and put in two or three windows and then I would wait, you know. It took me five years <laughs> to replace all the windows. <laughs> Not exaggerating <laughs> at all. It took me five years to complete all of the windows. And that's like, you know, trim and paint and I had to cut away brick on certain ones to get the new ones to fit and all this stuff. So this house, we have uh, roughly the same number of windows. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but they're also big left-right sliding windows. So this company comes around and they're doing some in the neighborhood and they leave a little flyer, you know, friends and uh, neighbor discount kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I could pay somebody else to do the windows this time. I'm not going to do it ever again, mm -hmm. ever mm -hmm. for any amount of money. So they come in, you know, it's like a day of measuring and they're going around. They're being super, you know, everything is getting all the window sizes. Yeah, they're taking their time. They're doing it right. It takes like six weeks for them to make all these windows. A crew of four guys came at nine o'clock in the morning and they left at five o'clock in the afternoon and every single one of those windows was in place, painted, caulked, trimmed, done, done. It didn't take five it years? It blew my mind. No, it did not take five years. It blew my mind. I mean, like, they just kind of the same way. They were super businessy. They didn't really, there was one guy that kind of talked a little bit and chit chatted and found out that I had a YouTube channel and then wanted to talk about that and see the shop and stuff. But other than that, the guys just heads down, go to work. You know, my uh, driveway looked like, uh, like I was growing mushrooms or something in the driveway because they had spray foam. And so they were filling the backside of all of these things before they put them in. And then they would drop the little pieces of spray foam on the driveways and then they would expand. <laughs> so just like 
cut up wood and vinyl and or whatever the material was and spray foam everywhere. But nine to five, man, they were done. It was awesome. That's where time is money. That's like really where that 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 applies. Yeah. Time is money when you have a crew of guys like that doing a flooring, doing windows. You know, if they give you a quote, if they can get it done in ten minutes, they just made that ten or twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars in ten yeah. minutes. If they do it in three weeks, they still get paid that same ten or twenty thousand dollars, whatever the quote is. Yeah. So that's why it pays to be efficient when it comes to that type of quote. You know, when you're not getting paid by the hour and you're getting paid by the job number. Time is money. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad to never, ever, ever install a window again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'll probably have to at some point, but not like that. That was terrible. Anyway. Yeah. So how was uh, how it's was July Fourth? That's that's a thing. Are you talking about your birthday? Time we talked. Well, that's not why I was bringing it up, but <laughs> <laughs> but yes, how was my birthday for you? <laughs> your birthday for me was um, pretty boring. Usually, um, sorry, our family has a, a cottage <laughs> in the lake, and then we'll throw a big a big party out there and just like stay the night and you drink on the beach and there's fireworks. And this year it was just quiet. Kelly and I, I don't, we may have cooked something on the grill, but it was just the two of us nice and quiet. And, <laughs> yeah. it's funny. If you can't remember if you cooked on barbecue, yeah. you probably barbecue yeah. on July 4th. Probably. You probably <laughs> the, the neighbors were super noisy. It was super annoying. Luckily our dogs don't get too stressed out by fireworks, but it was pretty mm-hmm. uneventful. I was going to tell you guys that we had the, the, the go-kart event, yeah. and Dave, a lot of people were asking where you were. They're like, when does Dave get <laughs> I'm sorry. Dave's not coming. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> people came with, like, poster cardboards that said, welcome to New York, Dave. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 uh, next time. No, we had the event. It went, it went. It was obviously much more diminished than I expected it to be when I first talked about it months back. But it was good. It was really fun. A lot of guys were going, like, will people be social distancing? Will people be wearing masks? Everybody came with a mask on after 10 minutes. The masks were all like hanging under everyone's chin. But <laughs> ultimately, we all kind of kept a distance, but it wasn't too many people. It was maybe about 20, oh. 25 people at the max. A lot of people came by just to say hi. And about 10, 10 maybe 12 or 15 different go-karts came and went throughout the day. I'd say maybe 10. 10 go-karts came and went throughout the day. And I was going to do something with First Build, but they decided not to come, which is fine. We're just going to do another event, and they'll come to that one. And the event went off without a hitch. Nobody got hurt, which to me was a huge success. And Art Clement from Clement's Engines made an incredible go-kart, which probably went 90 miles an hour. Is that the snowmobile one? Yeah, it was (laughs) so scary. I never curse on this podcast, but it was getting scary. It was very getting scary. I I sat in it for a few minutes. My buddy called me and he's like, he's like, he had to remove the steering wheel so you can get in it. That is not safe. My buddy watched from the sidelines and he had to leave. So when I was getting in it to go for a ride, he had to leave and he he wrote to me yesterday. He's like, that is not safe that you have to get in that machine and put the steering wheel down over you because it's not (laughs) safe. But it it, it was really great. There was a lot of uh, musty one came who's a a YouTuber uh, in New Hampshire who, repairs engines and elm city dave came with a cool little vintage go-kart just to be expected from dave and a couple of mini bikes dave is like the quintessential 1970s kid with cool just like all the cool stuff you wanted out of the sears catalog and we we ended up having a really really nice nice time and like i said nobody got injured and it was fun it was really fun we're gonna we want to do it again going into the fall and it might be something i do every six months just like a funny like you know just put out the, the things and it was great it started at like noon ended it at about seven and it was great we just everyone did their thing we had a couple of barbecues going and it was fun 
I'm really glad that we we at least tried it in you know in these trying times we we did it. Yeah. So we'll That's see. Awesome. We might do it again in October. <laughs> and besides that, I I put out the video where I made the the bullet trailers and. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get to that video or not because there was a couple of people needed to give me their opinions on it. And that always takes a long time. But anyway, I got the thumbs up. We published it and the video is performing well. And and uh, it turns out that I might have to make eight more of those trailers. We were just talking about that before we got started. That's crazy. And I'm going to have to re-engineer it because they need to go through doorways and stuff. Because the initial five, uh, the guys that ordered it, it's like, yeah, don't worry about it. It'll fit through any doorway. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure about that. You, you can't have like, what is the chances that that you know eight liquor stores have the same exact entrance or the same type of entrance that you can like potentially pull a car inside of? You know, some stores have that because you know the buildings are set up for one reason or another or to be as versatile as possible. Anyway, I need to re-engineer them so these things can go through like a 36-inch door. So I might have to make them in two sections or something. And uh, so that'll be a fun challenge. I might have to rent some space from my landlord to build the next eight. But, uh, you know, it's good. I can't complain. In these trying times, everyone's obviously, uh, you know, having some ups and downs. And I've been lucky. So knock wood that I'm getting some good work. And, oh, I'm going to tease you guys. I can't say too much. It's really only been just a conversation. This should be an after show thing, but I'll say it now. (laughs) Because people love... People love to hate on me that I like technology and that I'm like not the same guy I used to be in my my poopy basement. It's funny, <laughs> but I started the conversation with, and I'm and this might just be straight pay pay. I mean, it might not be a, it might not be a, a partnership. I don't know where it's going. I started the conversation with a water jet company mm. to get like a legit water jet table. I'm very jealous of what's going on over at Jason Fireball Tools. I'm very jealous of what's happening over there, <laughs> and. I, I, I think I, I need to up oh. my game. And it's funny, now that I'm in this like little manufacturing uh, cycle of, of doing different various things, and Taylor also, sometimes when Taylor has a leather cut, she has a water jet. They they put it on foam, and they water jet it through foam, oh. and then the leather dries, and you know, so you have a per- perfect, beautiful... You can't laser cut leather without charring the edge. So it's a, it's a difference. It's funny that... You, people would assume, oh, you just laser cut yeah. it, but every laser cut leaves a burnt edge, and you can't necessarily. So, they water jet leather, you know, leather wow. that that can get wet. So it's uh, we've been having the conversation about potentially picking up a machine. So wow. it would be a four by four; it wouldn't be a big giant one. But. <laughs> Not giant, just four feet by four feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a big footprint, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, well, if you see the one that Jason has on Fireball Tools, he's got it's like twelve by like nine feet, yeah. and it's tremendous i wouldn't need a machine that big i wouldn't want a machine that big because to pick up and put on material you need you need an overhead crank oh yeah you know, like how are you going to get on a you know a, a four by four plate of one inch thick steel you know that's the type of stuff jason's cutting i wouldn't be cutting stuff like that at least not now not that i think of, yeah. can think of or think so i started the conversation we'll see where it goes like i said i might end up buying a used machine or financing a new one. I don't know. So, we'll do you have any experience with a machine uh, water jet of that size? Have you ever used one? I've been at the one at first build. Okay. I've watched the guys cut out the one on first build. What is the collection system and the uh, like? What's the abrasive system look like on something that big? The only experience with water jet I have is the Wazer. You know, it's a desktop thing where you pour stuff into one side and you scoop it out the other side and by hand. But on a giant machine that can go through a whole lot of material, a whole lot of abrasive, it feels like there's got to be some, maybe some more automated 
input and output of I, that? Honestly, I don't think so because the table is such a huge tub. I think that just the maintenance time is, is, is further apart. Oh. I think you still have to pull all the slats out, drain the water, and shovel out the Gosh. garnet. I seen that once. I forget. I forget what university I was at. It might have been when we were in uh, Atlanta. We went through the design department at the uh, university there, and I think they were in the process of cleaning out the sea, the the water jet. And at that time, in my mind, I was like, "Oh, I'll never have a water jet." That seems like so you know, f- so another lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'll never be able to afford one or even have the interest in having one. And then you know, you start getting that tickle. <laughs> You know, you get that little tickle, and it's like, oh, I need to spend a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, oh, can't go. Oh, right, <laughs> but wait, I just farmed out six things. They cost me a hundred dollars. If I had my own hundred thousand dollar water jet, that wouldn't cost me anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> math. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those would only cost me twenty five thousand dollars each. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I started getting that tickle a couple weeks ago, and started a conversation and. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to like every once in a while you get that tickle of, you know, what it is you might need, whether it's like a new build or a new toy or a new, like even sometimes I get that tickle obviously with vintage tools and I start searching the type of tool that I'm looking for. So what I need you to do before you get that mi- machine and have it delivered and everything, I'm going to need you to move all of your stuff and everything to Kentucky somewhere and then have the machine mm-hmm. delivered, and then you can live near me. So if I need to use a giant water jet, I'll just come over to your place. That way, neither one of us has to travel too much. It just makes the most sense. Yeah. So, so I'll start looking for places for you, and uh, you can start packing your bandsaw collection up. If I come near you, I'm going to end up in the, the bullet distillery somewhere. I know it. If I end up moving. Bobby won't let me not live near the, the distillery in Shively or... <laughs> wherever wherever but anyway it's um i'm excited about it, it, it like i said it's uh, you know it's not going to happen anytime soon i need to figure out financing and all that other fun stuff but we'll see i wonder we'll see. do you we'll have see. any idea we'll a machine like that what the power requirements are i mean is it just 220 i i guess it's well, just I a did, pump really is the it's a pump yeah the well the, the, i talked i was talking to the technician yesterday at the company i don't want to say just yet until we solidify something but the um he said the pump requirements, well, the pump, the matter of choices, he says it's really just production time. He says if you have a more high, if you have a higher pump, it's really for a quicker cut, yeah. not necessarily the depth of cut. So the machine I'm looking at could potentially cut seven inches of titanium <laughs> in one pass. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it? I said, I'll never need that. He's like, well, you know, that's that's the limitations that the machine has. Is that's it. You know, it's, it's not, you know, you can't say I only want a machine that's going to cut quarter inch steel. It's like it's, it what will happen end. is he he will get seven inch thick titanium, and he's like, this will take this will take way too long <laughs> on on this cutter. I'm going to have to get an EDM machine, and then yeah. you know, yes. there's another three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely, <laughs> definitely keep moving up. So my barn, I'm like, my barn is gonna turn into like digital fabrication row. My little barn in the backyard. So yeah. I see I, if it turns into that, that would be fun. 
Very have cool. you ever? Yeah. Okay, this is know. like just blue sky. I mean, I know you have like twenty five different shops, and they're all over your little town that you're going to rename to yourself. But <laughs> with on on your acreage that you have, is there another place like at your house? Is there another place that if you wanted to build another structure, like to have another dedicated shop for you know blacksmith or for whatever, is there another mm-hmm. spot that you could do that if money and yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, we actually talked, me and Taylor talked about, like, because this house obviously has its limitations, you know, in the winter and stuff. This house is, is beautiful, but it's it's like a worn-out pair of Levi jeans is what I call this house with, like, holes in the knees and, you know, wallet impression in the back pocket. That's what this house reminds me of. So we always have this fantasy, like, if we ever had enough money to liberate us from this house, we would, instead of buying another house, we just build a new house in the woods mm. and just put an access road to it. And that, like, I could build a house on this property that nobody would ever see, ever, unless you were actually standing in front of it. So we have that luxury. We do have the property. So, yeah, there's certainly space. We're going to potentially build a horse barn here. We're going to do, a, like, a barn frame raising we want to do in August. And so I reached out to some guys. You guys are welcome. But I haven't set a date. So I, I started the conversation with some friends, and they're like, well, I need to know when. And we haven't. we don't have a foundation yet. We don't have the building permit. But <clears throat> we Taylor has a... A friend of a friend that Taylor's gotten in touch with who doesn't know anything about YouTube or me or anybody. He does now, but when we contacted him, he said uh, he's a, a timber framing expert. Mm. And he says he can come up with a bag of chisels. And and he was talking on the phone and with Taylor on a speakerphone. And he's like, well, we could probably do something in three weeks. And then I, I piped in. I was like, what happens if I get 15 skilled guys here? Do you think we could do it in three days? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, if you know that many guys that are skilled, I'm like, yeah, I think I could probably pull some guys together. Hmm. And uh, so we, we're talking about potentially doing that. But like I said, we don't. We just basically say sometime in August, but we don't have a date and we don't have a foundation. So he said, get your foundation in order and let me know. And the design that Taylor picked is just something off the internet. It's like a typical six-stall horse barn, three stalls on either side, post and beam. And we, we're, the goal is to at least get the frame up. And we'll go, use all local milled lumber. So th- like there, there's a structure that we're going to build. Right now, if you've ever seen the property or at least pictures or drone shots of the property, right where the teepee is right now is where we're going to put that barn, and which is why we're corralling in the pasture with the fence and eventually the teepee will be moved down into the pasture we could just it'll take like four people in an afternoon to like undo it and then redo it mm. it goes together pretty quickly and so yeah there's plenty of room that's awesome I, and i'm actually i'm thinking about where i rent another long-term goal is where i rent in town i own right across the street and there was a batting cage there with like six six uh, little uh, site stations for people to to pitch automated to hit automated pitches and that that thing took up about an 80 foot square so we've knocked it down the local metal guys took it away and we're gonna potentially put a little more um, not little but a morton building on there about i'm thinking about 80 by 100 feet something like that or like the building i'm in now is 50 by 100 so it would be at least that big maybe bigger hmm. and then i'd move out of my rental and i'd move into that but that's like two years down the road. I mean, unless I become rich and famous. Wait, so you're talking about the rental across the street, the the current big shop? Yeah, the current metal-y, scrappy yeah. shop that I work in day to day where the big CNC machine is and stuff. That's a rental. And I would move ultimately across the street to a building that I would that has yet to be built. Yeah. So then I would have like my complex in town with the racetrack and then my house. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Don't forget about and my Victoria underground layers are always an option. Mm. Just you know, I I have my I have my two shipping containers, and I have a buddy with a tremendous excavator. I was thinking about getting him to dig a big hole, and we'll just drop the two tanks in the excavator in, in the hole vertically, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's like a long deep hole. <laughs> Try and tap into water. I don't know. That's not that's not happening anytime soon. But I want to get rid of these containers. I just don't know what to do with hmm. them. Yeah, they're ugly as hell. That's, and they're really heavy. Yeah, I bet. Hmm. Cool. So that's, you know, all future plans. We'll see what happens. The water jet thing is exciting. When you start digging into the possibilities, like Taylor's like, well, well we can cut leather. I'm like, we can cut anything. Taylor's been doing some furniture with stone. I'm like, we can, hmm. we could write, you know, anything you want in stone or cut it in any shape you want. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. awesome. I've been uh, using the Wazer quite a bit more. I think last time we talked, we talked about the how I was having trouble with the collection, the abrasion collection, abrasive collection. Well, it turns out I went to clean it out uh, again, and you have to take the thing apart and pull the the surface out, and then you have to like scoop out all the stuff in the bottom and everything. And I had to do this a few times because I've been cutting eighth inch aluminum a lot of it, and so it goes through a lot of abrasive. And so I'm looking up, like, what's the best process for cleaning this out? Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it should be a little bit easier. Turns out that there's a page on the website that says, like, uh, abrasive collection maintenance or something like that. And so I'm like, oh, cool. This Maybe this will answer the question. It goes to this big explanation, like, click this menu and do this thing and do this thing. And at the bottom, in small text, it says, run this. No, it says, run this every time you do a cut. And I'm like, oh, that would have been helpful to know. <laughs> that should be on the front page of the website because that saves you having to do like a manual scoop of all this heavy. What sludge. do you? So, okay, so I'm going to tell you something funny. I haven't cleaned it out yet, and every single time, like I just put more and more abrasive in. I don't know where <laughs> it goes. Those like recollection trays have like an inch in them from the beginning of me using this thing. Those like collection yeah. dumper things that you pull out in the front. There's like an inch inside each one of them. I don't know where this stuff goes. I just assumed it went out the drain. No. I mean, I know some collects in the very bottom. little is supposed to go out the drain uh, because they don't know what's actually being cut in it. So I've done a little research on this about the garnet because I was curious about, you know, it's a natural material, but what are the conditions for disposal? Like, is it after you use it, does it matter? And it turns out whatever you cut with it is going to affect whether the output is safe or not. If you're cutting something inert like aluminum or steel, it's fine. It's not. There's nothing hazardous about it. But if you're cutting... But if you're cutting radioactive yellow cake, that's not a good <laughs> If you're idea. cutting like copper or lead, there can be some reaction stuff that happens and that's when it can be... Da- the output can be dangerous since you have to dispose of that stuff correctly. So... Um, most of it shouldn't go into the water supply, even into the drain supply. It should just collect in those two little containers at the front. And if it doesn't, that means it's collecting in the bottom. And that's what happened to me where mine wasn't collecting into the little containers. It was just filling up the bottom. And this is like four or five inches at the underneath the cut surface, solid garnet, which is like crushed rock, way heavier than sand and wet and stuck together and it's it's terrible mm. it's terrible to have to clean that out so good luck to you one of these days <laughs> get a new water jet and throw that one away because you don't have to clean it out. good luck to your assistant whoever's working for you at that particular time <laughs> yeah 
Well, it's funny. I told you I broke off one of those screws. Did you break I off did. one of your screws yep. too? And is that does that corner of the bed float like an eighth of an inch higher than the rest? It, you got to push on. Well, it I just it. don't screw the other three corners down so that they all kind of float equally. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, good... it, the screw is in there to hold it in place, but it doesn't actually pull it down. Somebody who doesn't have yeah. a Wazer, like David, mm-hmm. doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. So. Well, the three guys are like punching their screen right now, going, "Yes, yes, it's so annoying." <laughs> anyway, my point was in saying that I've been using a whole lot more, and after realizing that there is a cleaning mechanism built into it that just needs to be run, that is making it a lot easier to collect the abrasive. Would that be under the maintenance yes, menu? Would that be under the? Yeah. Okay, and that basically just circulates the water inside the tank and lifts the stuff that is settled on the bottom up into the water, and then theoretically takes it into those little little pails that you can. Yep make it easier to clean out. So I've been doing that. That's helped a huge amount. So, you know, that fault is only on me for not reading the instructions, not on Wazer for mm, not putting in the I don't, to do it. I don't know. That that sounds like you would insert the Adam Sandler clip. It's like that information would have been useful yesterday. I don't know. You, well, you remember true. what movie that's from? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. The wedding singer. <laughs> um, so I've been doing that and I've gotten a bunch of pieces cut uh, for, these are all for R2-D2's feet. And I've had to recut some pieces because I did things wrong or whatever. But I've this is all aluminum, and I've had to learn how to TIG aluminum. So I've had to learn how to TIG because I've never done that before, and I'm starting with aluminum. So I skipped steel completely, and it is hard. It is, it is mm-hmm. very hard. And I've learned a whole lot from watching Jody and some other people I just found online, uh, Welding Tips and Tricks, in case you don't know who I'm talking about. I've learned a whole bunch, and now having done it a little bit, I realize... Because I've watched those videos before about TIG welding and like not having done it, I just don't have the context. You know, they say like do this thing and do this thing, but I don't really know what they're talking about because I haven't felt the movement and I haven't seen the puddle and I haven't... Now that I've done it and I go back and watch those same videos, they make so much more sense. And instead of a bunch of vocabulary that I'm not used to, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 the cleaning action. I know what that is now. The, the puddle and the feed and the this and the that and the electrode and the, you know, like all those words make a lot more sense now. Even though I can't necessarily do it well, I am getting technically welds <laughs> there, <laughs> technically welded together, super ugly, but it is really cool. Um, it, I was going to say it's really cool to be bad at something, but I'm bad at a lot of things. It's really cool to do something regardless of whether the fact that I'm bad at it or not. It's cool to like, here's a thing that's been on my list for years and now I'm, I finally started it. You know, it's not a someday thing. It's like something that's happening now and I see all the room for improvement. And um, I already screwed up a piece and I had to recut it because I, I basically just melted through one side to where you could see it on the other side and that was bad. But having done that and then being able to recut the pieces and then weld it correctly the second time, I'm like, oh, look, there's improvement. Like, it's still ugly on the backside. That doesn't matter. I didn't screw up the front side. So, you know. It helps to go into that type of process knowing you're going to have to fail and redo and fail and redo. A lot of people make the big mistake of jumping into a process like that going, okay, I'm going to do this. And when they fail, they they let themselves down emotionally and get really upset. You got to go into it with an open mind of, all right, I'm going to screw this up horribly, but maybe I won't. If I do, I'll just start again. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I, I had a bunch of scrap left over from all these water jet cuts. And so I've been using that scrap aluminum to begin to understand 
the welding. Um, and I, I get it, but I think it's just one of those hours on the machine things, you know, where, uh, you just have to do it to get the rhythm of the, the two hands. That's something and the pedal. It's, there's a lot more to it than MIG as far as the synchronicity of all the pieces having to happen. And that's not something I'm used to. So I think that's just, you know, hours of doing it. Yeah, repetitive. What is the, I, I, like you just kind of explained a little bit, but what is the hard part? I know nothing about it, so I don't know anything well, about the process. Well, I, I can't speak a whole lot to it because this is literally the only TIG I've ever done. But the thing that's different so far, and Jimmy, you can correct me here, but the thing that's different from MIG is you have a pedal that controls the, the way I'm mine's set up. You have a pedal that controls the amperage. You have a torch with an electrode, and then you have a rod that is the filler rod that's feeding. So you ignite the arc with the pedal, and then you control how how big or how much power is going through as to how hot it gets, what it melts. And then once you get a puddle uh, melted, then you start with your other hand, you start putting the feed rod into that to add metal. And then you're moving your two hands. You're moving the puddle with one hand with the torch, and then as you move it forward, you're putting in more excess metal in front of it, and it melts into place. And so you're, that's how you see those stack of dimes. Each one of those is an insertion mm-hmm. of the rod into the puddle, and it makes another little layer that stacks up. And mm-hmm. so the, like, I understand that process, but getting the feed hand with the rod, you're not just, like, moving your arm. You're supposed to be holding a rod between two fingers and sliding it forward and then hold it with different fingers and then you reach back and so instead of moving your arm you're moving your fingers and you have gloves on and they're slippery metal rods and so it's just very like i don't know it's it's strange i i've never gotten good at it i just hold the tick rod till i get closer 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 to my fingertips on my other hand stop burning and then i stop and then i reposition that's what i've been doing closer and closer (laughs) that's that's like an amateur move i can't like I watched Jody's hand and he has this like total, and he said, Jody says when he's driving a car, he holds a piece of TIG rod in his hand and just practices that move. He said, that's what he did for years. He goes, when you're doing anything, talking on the phone, wow. sitting in a meeting, he said, just practice that move. It was interesting. So it's, it's a tip. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know. It's a dance. Well, yeah. And then the pedal is another part of the dance. The pedal is, yep. you have to, and, and I think that's a experience to know how much heat and how much to put when. With aluminum, I'm finding that you have to put a whole bunch of heat at the beginning to start a puddle, but then once the whole thing, the whole piece of aluminum gets hot, it can easily just disintegrate. It just bleh. so you, yeah. There's a super fine line between puddling everything yeah. and focusing. That, and that's what that, I that, when I screwed the one up, the I I added too much heat and it distorted the the side of the piece that you're going to see. It just got all wobbly because it got too hot and just kind of deformed. And you know, I don't know. This is something that maybe maybe if you've read it, maybe you don't know it. A couple guys that have tried to teach me take aluminum or have given me some instruction on take aluminum. The 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 oxidation on aluminum, that outside crust is melts at a much higher. That's why you have the the sink wave. I'm probably talking the AC. inaccurately. Yeah. Here, so no, right. yeah, <clears throat> though that's why you you have to melt through that crust before you could melt the metal. And uh, a guy basically described it to me. He's like, you, you know, it's like a it's like a Hershey bar with a wrapper on it. The wrapper melts. Obviously, the chocolate's going to melt super low, but the wrapper will melt at a much higher temperature, technically speaking. And so you have to melt through that when you first start your weld. 
Yeah. On aluminum. So you do a whole bunch of heat at and the beginning to break that that coating, this oxidation surface. And then once you get the kind of glossy puddle underneath that, you have to back off the heat. Yeah. But that's also when you have to start moving your hands. Because otherwise, if you keep mm-hmm. it in the same place, then you're going to end up melting bigger. And so it's a weird timing thing that I absolutely don't have yet, but I am beginning to understand it. So I think understanding, you know, that Roy Cromine gave me a, a really good tip. He watched me on Instagram a couple of like a year ago and I was experimenting. I made a toolbox. He said, he goes, here's a great tip. He said, the torch melts the metal and the puddle creates the puddle and the, the rod dips into the puddle. So he said, don't ever think you're melting the, the filler rod with the torch. So to, to put it more clearly, the torch melts the metal and the puddle melts the rod. So you should be able to just dab into the puddle with the rod. Don't like think, like a lot of people who solder for the first time make the huge mistake of torching the metal and sticking the solder into the flame. All that does is ball up your solder and it falls off of your metal. You need to heat the metal up so that the metal is hot enough so that when you touch the solder to the metal, it immediately melts into the metal and stays there. And it's a very similar concept with TIGging. You have to create the puddle, and the filler rod should melt in the puddle, not in the heat of the flame or the torch. That should be on the front page of the website. (laughs) It should be. (laughs) Another tip that somebody gave me was that, um, you know, aluminum will soak up heat uh, it's kind of slow to get it, but then it holds it for a really long time. So they were saying rather than taking a cold piece of aluminum and immediately starting to weld in one place, you can do that, but you have you a preheat, yeah, you preheat the piece. And so yesterday that was something I tried as I was playing around was just taking a torch. I put the pieces, you know, with, uh, with clamps and with weights to hold them where they needed to be. I heated the whole thing with the torch and then started welding. And I, it wasn't a huge difference, but I did notice that it seemed to happen a little bit quicker. And I think it's just, it's not having to soak up the torch heat through the entire piece. It's already kind of up to temperature. So that's something I need to practice with as well. But, you know, all this to say, like, I'm learning something new and it's really exciting to be able to to do a thing that I've never been able to do. I've always thought about making certain things out of aluminum like well i don't have a really good way to you know i can braise them but that kind of works sometimes <laughs> kind of doesn't um, and so it's nice to have another new thing to be able to actually try out and i'm getting closer to r2d2 having like a foot in front of me is really cool <laughs> to see the whole foot so you're gonna have to throw away those big sneakers <laughs> instead of putting the sneakers yeah, in. that's true that's you're gonna have <laughs> You're going to be such a good drummer after you learn how to do all that. A drummer? <laughs> Getting the left and right hand and, and, and the foot all working together. You paradiddles. It's, it, yeah. Uh, it's one of those things that's been on the list. And now after this conversation, I'm like, hmm, it sounds like there's a lot of barriers. I'm going to put that even further down I don't down think so. I think, I think I, you know, I'm jumping into the aluminum thing. And I think if you start on steel, now I understand why you could get the rhythm easier you don't uh, have okay. all the same pitfalls that you would have with aluminum. But I could see that, and I've heard people say this, Josh says this, a lot of other people have said, once they do TIG, they don't want to do MIG anymore because it's a lot quieter, it's a lot more controlled. MIG is kind of like somebody, a welder just going like, bah, and then it's done, it's welded. Yeah. TIG is, is, is more of like a conversation and it's quieter and it, you know you can control the whole thing a little bit more. And I see now why that is. Um, 
there's part of me that likes the. It's like the it's like a, it's like a football game versus like a football game versus a golf game. Yeah, yeah, it's they're both fun in different <clears throat> ways, you know, and they both have a different purpose. But <clears throat> so I could see David, I could see you liking Tig, um, and and getting comfortable with it pretty quickly with steel. And I probably should jump back and actually learn how to do it with steel and by by the way just to, just to, right. for just to, for people that are thinking about doing tig there's three types at least that i know of there's three types of of tig there's the pedal which is what you have bob mm-hmm. and i have a pedal which you just step on the pedal and it gives you the amount of amperage you want it's like a gas pedal there's scratch start which you need the pedal and you got to start by scratching it and there's lift dark which is no pedal and you literally just reach in and scratch and pull away and start your arc. Hmm. So each one of those has its own skill set of getting started. I played with all three of them. And there's a little learning. Like the when Taylor and I first got our TIG welder before I had any affiliation with any welding company, I got the blue one as a, a gift. I got it for Taylor for Christmas like six years ago. And that's when she started making her chairs. And that was a scratch lift. And you'd have to scratch the metal and lift it. And it was convenient because there was no pedal. There was always the plug on the front for a pedal. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that's for. I never needed that. But <clears throat> the scratch lift was was actually convenient because that was the way we welded. You literally just scratch the tungsten on the metal and lift up, and then you have your arc. It like sparks immediately. There's no your amperage setting is stuck right okay. where it is. There's no variation. So it's like you you know you you put it at whatever ninety, and that's where you're going to stay throughout the weld. So you got to. By varying the distance is kind of how you vary the input heat. Hmm. So that's how huh. I started. I started with like the more complex thing. And then when I got the uh, high frequency start, which is when you step on the pedal, like Lincoln now, when you have the pedal, it's called high freak, and it starts when you step on the pedal. You don't have to scratch lift and then step on the pedal. You know, So that's kind of the, the most, again, I'm probably speaking out of school because I don't know every single thing about there is to know, but I think that's like kind of the most high tech version right now. Hmm. Where you just step on the pedal and it starts. You hold it away and the, the, the arc jumps. And that's obviously the simplest way if you're going to be a beginner yeah, to do it. But it's the most expensive way to. I had a conversation with my buddy Jack, who listens. What's up, Jack? Last week, and um, we were talking about just MIG welding. Because he wants to build these barn doors and there might be some sort of uh, metal frame on there. And, and, we're, and uh, I was like, yeah... As far as the the MIG welding, everything is going great. Um, the, my welds look great, and they they're done the way they're supposed to be. And he's like, "Well, you, you had a lot of trouble at the beginning. Like, what happened? How did it get go from terrible to great?" And I had no answer. I was like, "I don't know why it just works now. It may, it's probably technique. It's probably just having the right settings, but something just clicked, and it just seems to work every time now." And they look halfway decent i have no idea what happened but i think it's just hand control and and uh a few weeks ago jimmy suggested getting um uh tig welding gloves you, i get a little bit more feeling i think as like i'll consider myself an artist i need that that feeling in my hands and i think that actually helps me i get burnt a little bit more they don't shield away the heat very well but i feel like i have a little bit more yeah. control <laughs> okay so here's a little since we're talking about welding here's a kind of story relative to that we're working on this thing that'll be out in a few weeks and it was mig welding and i was wearing a t-shirt and just like oftentimes when i need to go shoot something i just will go in and start and i don't even think about what i'm wearing i don't think about putting on a jacket i just always get the helmet 
and grab gloves because I keep them right there over the machine. And so I immediately start uh, welding this frame up and I'm probably 10, 15 minutes into it. And I look down and realize that I, like I got burnt on my arm from a little pop and I'm like, oh yeah, I should definitely put a jacket on. And then I said something to the camera, like I just completely spaced and didn't, you know, you should always wear a jacket. And I put the jacket on the video and then kept going. And then after lunchtime, I went upstairs, I go into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and like I lifted my shirt a little bit and I had a sunburn on my arm mm-hmm. where my t-shirt was. And it was like a legit sunburn, not, not just like a yeah, little bit red. Fast. And I had no idea because I typically don't weld in a t-shirt. I had no idea that that would happen so quickly that that weld would give you a sunburn. I mean, I've heard that, but I kind of expected that, you know, not an exaggeration, but like it would happen over a day of welding, not 20 minutes or so. No. Few minutes, yeah. Few minutes. It, it, it was crazy. It was eye opening, you know, to to see how much light is coming out, <laughs> and how bad that could be for your skin if you mm. did it all the time. You uh, you just said that, and I I just realized we did a project yesterday, and a majority of it was welding. I didn't put on a jacket at all. I'm gonna have to go back and insert a thing into the video saying <laughs> wear proper equipment. Because uh, it, it was 95 degrees yesterday. I'm like, I just didn't didn't even think of putting yeah. on a jacket. Yeah, I didn't think of it either. I mean, usually, oh. unless I'm going to get hurt from it, I don't think about those things. You know, physically, like having a, something burn, I don't, I don't really think about the jacket because it's kind of a hassle and it's hot and it's, you know, it's just another thing to do that slows down making the video, honestly. Um, but after seeing that, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. So I'm going to for sure keep it on in the future but anyway um i never talked about what i was working on we have a video coming out tomorrow which will be before this show comes out uh i made a simple potting bench this we've been since we have the garden in the backyard um well not just because of that we have a garden in the backyard and my wife is also taken to buying plants all the time so we have <laughs> tons and tons of plants in the house, and I really like it. We have a couple of windows that, you know, the entire windowsill and the shelf in front of it is just covered with different types of plants. And it's kind of cool because my grandfather, who, you know, this was his house, he he had the same thing where he had these areas of the house that were just tons of different kinds of plants. He kept all sorts of different things over the years. So because of that, we kept talking about having a potting bench. So as she gets new plants or as we transplant stuff from one to the other, we have a place to do it and not make a huge mess. So I uh, made a really simple potting bench to put on our back porch. And I kind of took it because it's such a simple thing and it's been done so many times. I kind of took a challenge to myself as to how can I make this out of one piece of the same piece of material? So I took one by fours. That's an easy thing to get. And you can make the entire thing out of one by fours, except for one piece. And there's one, one by six, and it's just a deeper shelf across the top. But it was kind of fun to have like a constraint like that. I I hate it when people give me challenges and they tell me like, you should only do this using these tools or whatever. That's not me, whatever. This was kind of fun to put on myself (laughs) to say like, you know, what's the, to make this accessible, take a simple piece of material that you could get I made it out of cedar, but you could do pine. And like, how could you take that one thing and build the design around using that one thing? That was kind of a fun challenge for me. But it was cool because 
it's so simple out of the same piece of material that I put the entire thing together start to finish in like an, an hour maybe or something like one of the fastest projects I've ever done uh, but it turned out really nice so that's going up this week um, it's one of those videos that I think if somebody needs it it would be really handy but it's probably not something that a lot of people need so I'm not expecting it to be a super big video or anything but that's what we've been up to and then uh, or what I've been up to We've had all sorts of stuff going on here. Like uh, Anthony had a baby a couple weeks ago, so he's been out. Um, Forby's been traveling. I had a birthday. Josh had a birthday. Holiday weekend. You know, just it, schedules kind of been all over the place, and everybody's. When's, when is Josh's birthday? It was yesterday. Oh wow! Yeah. So, and then his one of his kids has birthday the day before. So we've had a whole bunch of birthdays here close but it's been just kind of a strange couple of weeks because everybody's been off doing different things um and i've still been shooting and working on stuff here it's kind of neat though um having i've talked about this before but after having people having a team here that we work with all the time i love that and i enjoy the time with them but it is also nice to have those breaks where there's days of just me in the shop by myself and you know, like yesterday, being able not having anything that nobody was waiting on me for anything. Nobody needed me to be around. So I was just like, I'm going to go practice TIG. I'm just going to do that for a couple hours just because I can. And it's it's like an investment in being able to do that well later on when somebody does need to film it. Um, and so I found that I really like those times, not all the time, but having those moments where it's just me in the shop again for a day or two at a time. But we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording about, like, I don't know if it's a summertime thing or if it's the state of the pandemic or I don't know what's going on, but I'm typically really motivated to be productive. And the past couple of weeks, I just am not. (laughs) And I don't know. I'm I'm not trying not to let it worry me or anything because it doesn't really matter. We're still getting stuff done, but it's just weird for me personally to have this like you know what I just want to sleep <laughs> and I just want to play Minecraft which is not something I've ever really done before like spent time playing video games but there's something about right now that's made me just want to like slow down and just kind of not be productive I think it comes in waves I, I, people always say to me how can you remain so productive and I show when I'm working late, I show like, you know, in a day I'll show seven or eight different things that I'm doing or five different things, but it does come in waves and I don't show on Instagram when I'm lazy or when I'm feeling the same way, but it does come in waves. I typically comes after I've accomplished something that was emotionally weighing heavy on me. Like for instance, the trailers, I needed to get those five trailers done. I knew I was working against the hard out. The truck was coming. People were expecting them on the July 4th weekend. So once like a hard out like that is completed and everything went well and you know there's usually a, like now nah, i don't feel like doing anything you know so it does it does come in waves for me as well and uh i think that's uh you know i hate to use this term it's so stupid but it's the universe telling you something it's uh you know it's your body basically saying all right let me just chill for a minute and just take that opportunity to just relax and like when I do feel like that, I'm like, okay, what can I be doing that I avoid? Like reading something that somebody's anticipating me reading for, you know, I've been working on a couple of 
projects behind the scenes where it requires a lot of reading and I hate reading. So I like listening. I can't stand reading. So I, you know, when I'm in those lulls, I try and figure out how I could take care of things that I'm avoiding, you know, some of the, some of the less physical things. The problem with the ups and downs is for me is when you're in that down where you're not very, very productive. And that's where I've been this summer and I've questioned, like, man, do I, am I enjoying woodworking? Because I've been doing it a lot less. I have no desire to go do woodworking. I've, I've got these other things. You start wondering, like, is this, is, is this it? Is this the downfall of the business? Am I, what am I doing wrong? And I'm, you know, we're at that particular point. I'm probably just in that, in that, that, downward motion and it's going to go back up again and the productivity is going to go back up again but it just you just com- compile all these things and it just piles up and you're just like what is wrong why am i this way when last year at this time i was you know making two videos a week and making all these things and there's two projects going at the same time but but you can't live like that all yeah, the time yeah and i think that's probably part of it is I just have a a false expectation of what I should be able to accomplish or what I should want to be able to accomplish. Cause I think right now, a lot of it is, I just don't, I just don't feel like it. I just don't want to. It's not that I want to be lazy. I just, I, and I, I think part of it, well, two things, one, Jimmy, yes. To what you said, I find that when I'm not being productive air quotes, I'm also being productive in ways that I typically ignore. Like I got my my in my inbox down to like five emails the other day because I wasn't Oof. shooting videos, you know, stuff like that. Um, I need some. Oh free my time, goodness! Bro. Sixty thousand <laughs> emails in his email client. <laughs> ridiculous. So look at my phone client. So ridiculous. Four hundred ninety-six missed calls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a button. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Um, <laughs> But I think, so part of it is that, yeah, I am in those moments able to get other things done that I don't typically get done. But lately I've been thinking about that, like, I haven't done as much on social media because I just don't feel like sharing, which sounds totally opposite of what we're supposed to be doing for our job. I get that. I'm aware of that. But I think there's something about right now in my life where I I want a little more like privacy. Like I just don't feel that, not that I want privacy. I don't feel the need to share everything that I do. And because of that, it's like, well, I also don't feel like really shooting a project because that's this, it's a production. It's a thing that's made to go out into the world. I kind of want to just like do a thing. There's part of me that wants to turn off the camera and just finish R2D2 in my basement by myself and never show anybody. Which I know is like opposite of what people want and what what no! I've set up. But you're not allowed to do but that. But you know what I mean? Like there's there's part of me that kind of wants a mm-hmm. thing just for me to. I don't know. It's weird. There, so there's a few different things going on at the same time. Summertime exhaustion and wanting to relax. Also, not feeling the need to just publicize every single thing that I'm thinking and doing and in the middle of and. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing. I was just curious if you guys ever have moments like that or very, very much so. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned not posting on social media. Um, I've only posted a few photos on Instagram this year and it's, it's, and I, I haven't been doing stories. 
I like th- there's probably a little story on my thing right now, but I haven't completed a story. Like yesterday, I think yesterday I filmed a little bit of me drilling on uh, on the drill, and then I just never wanted to do any more. It's just I think it's just in a time where I think for me right now it's there's a we're we're living in this weird time. Uh, there's a lot of people sick. There's a lot of people getting sick, and then there's uh, other worldly issues going on where it's like. Right now, it's not about me. I don't want people to look at me. I want people to take care of themselves and and figure things out. And and maybe I've not had that exact thought, but deep in my mind, I think I know. Like, you know, it's right now. It's just not a good time to say, "Hey, look, look yeah. at me, look at me." Yeah, I just don't have the motivation to do that right now. Um, and I think you know we've heard from people that the opposite is true for a lot of people right now, where they want a distraction, they want something interesting and fun and relaxing to look at and be a part of and stuff. And I totally get that. <clears throat> I, but yeah, I, I think part of it right now is that I'm focused on my family. My kids are home. Um, you know, I'm I'm just I don't know. I guess my focus is changing a little bit, but uh, or at least the amount of of focus on. <clears throat> outward stuff versus inward stuff is maybe shifting a little bit. Maybe that's a way to think about it. But anyway, that's been on my mind a little bit. Um, I know we didn't really have a topic. But is there anything you guys want to like chat through before we wrap the show up? Eh, I'll talk about what I'm working oh. on next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, would you no like words. to talk about what you're working yeah. on? <laughs> no um the one thing i do i do want to say is uh last week or the week before i said my descender from harbor freight uh lost all its power and i said it's probably this thing that jeremy felding talked about in his video this this clutch that needs cleaning well dan took apart the descender yesterday that was the issue he cleaned it and now it works again oh, good. yeah it's usually just dust so yeah most of the time yeah so um but i i think i am still going to upgrade to a a different disc sander um there's a that disc sander is the oldest tool in my shop and it works perfectly fine but the table on there is aluminum so when you have a big chunky piece up against that that sanding disc uh, it can vibrate and the whole thing gets a little weird I want a cast iron table. Grizzly makes one that has a miter slot that goes um, two ways, like so parallel and then perpendicular with the with the thing. So even though I have issues with with Grizzly, another podcast, <laughs> uh, that's that seems to be the one that uh, that is on my list. But it's it's expensive, and so maybe down the road. Mm. Well, while we're on it, what did you work on this week? What did you do? Uh, uh, we put out the, um, the go-kart vlog video, which was super fun to shoot. It was one of my favorite videos that I've made in the past year, because it was just a different type of video and I want to do more vlog stuff. It was, for the most part, it was easy to shoot and doesn't take a whole week to make. So I want to do more of that. Uh, so that was fun. And then, um, we, we made a video on my new favorite tool from Harbor Freight, which is their 500 pound hydraulic foot lift. It's just a cart. And then it has a little foot lever to lift things up. It is so, it's so fantastic. And so I bought another one 
And so the first half of the video is my new favorite tool from Harbor Freight. Here are the other tools that I like from Harbor Freight. And then the second half of the video is me modifying it, cutting it up and welding it and turning it into a go-kart lift. Nice. Because uh, an actual one-man go-kart lift costs $850. And this is less than $200. And we put bigger casters on there. We put little um, little little saddles for the go-kart to, to, to fall into so it doesn't want to tip. And uh, just modify, like cut off the handle and 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 put the um, the release lever in a different spot. So just modified it to make it mine. So the video is kind of like a there's a first half is this, and then the second half is is the modifying. Cool, right on. Um, well, I'm gonna thank our patrons, and then you guys can find something to recommend. I actually have a recommendation this week, so yeah, I'm kind of proud of myself. <laughs> All right. Um, Big thanks. I'm watching mine right now. <laughs> Big thanks to everybody that helps us out. <laughs> Over on Patreon, you guys are awesome. Um, the show, we you know we never do advertisers. We turn down advertisers because of the people that help out the show on Patreon. And everybody over there at every level gets the after show, which is a separate show of us talking about other stuff. There's often secret things. Jimmy talks about his secret TV show endeavors that he's doing. Anger. Anger lanes. <laughs> <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff that happens on the after show. Um, and if you want that, you can help us out at patreon.com slash making it. Our top supporters over there are Albers Woodworks, Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, You Can Make This Too, Maker in Training, Fun Kiss, Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich Lowen, and Odin, Odin Leather Goods. Uh, but there's a whole list of other people, and we're really grateful and thankful to uh, all of them. So... That's that. Thank you. Should I go ahead and do my recommendation since I have one? Well, yeah. might as well, well right. since you have I'll one. I'll do that. You might forget it and then you want to bring <laughs> That's true. Um, so we found this show somebody recommended <laughs> on Netflix. This has nothing to do with making. It's just... Bob, if you pick my show, well, that, <laughs> you're out of That's why I'm going first because if I don't have this, I don't have anything. It's called Home Game. Is that your show? Oh! oh. <laughs> Mine starts oh. with home. So I had a reaction. <laughs> um, it's called Home Game, and it's a documentary series, about 30 minutes per episode. And it's about these sports that are they're they're from a place in the world. So they're not only played in that place, but they're they are kind of specific to an area. And so I don't want to give anything away. The first episode is definitely the best one. It's it, the first three or four are really good. We started watching it because there's one about roller derby. My wife used to play roller derby, and so she wanted to see that. And it turns out that it's about a very specific type of roller derby in Texas, which is not what she played. And so it's a little more theatrical and a little more like, I don't know. It's just not quite the same. And so that was kind of a disappointing episode. But <laughs> the other ones are really cool. The thing that makes them cool is because they are sports that are played in a certain place based on the traditions of that place. And so the games are not necessarily like... Like, there's one about the Highland Games in Scotland. So it's all the Scotland tradition <clears throat> Excuse me, that goes into that and where it came from and things like that. There's one that's like uh, where these people in Bali drag race water buffaloes in rice fields, and that's like a sport. But the first one is the coolest one. It's called Calicho Storico, and it's about a game in Florence, Italy, that's only played in Florence. And the game is a cross between and like mixed martial arts. 
So okay. basically two teams of 26 big scary dudes <laughs> just beat each other up on a field and try to score goals. It's crazy. <laughs> but the show's really good. It's a documentary uh, style. You know, they walk through. They usually follow a couple of people who do a certain sport through the process of preparing for a game or a, you know, championship or something like that. So good show. Uh, it's definitely got some interesting stuff in it. Probably not kid friendly, but uh, interesting for sure. That's mine. Go. Me? Okay. My, Me? Doesn't matter. I'm go. done. You go, Dave. <laughs> Dave, go. Mine is a Netflix show. It is called Homemade. Whoa. <laughs> One word. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So uh, I I had a reaction when you started yours. Um, but it is a uh, it's a series of short films, like very short films. It could be like five ten minutes. Uh, independent filmmakers making uh, movies during COVID, so being stuck at home. And um, each each one, I've only watched three, like totally different feel between the, between them. Like like the one was humorous, the one was was deep, and the other one is just kind of oh, that's nice. So just a really cool thing. I'm glad. It's awesome to see Netflix supporting independent filmmakers. I gotta check that out. I didn't know about Your, that. Yours better have the word home in it, Jimmy, or you're fired. I know. It absolutely <laughs> does, because you said, what is the name? What is yours? Mine, mine was... David's is Homemade, homemade yeah. and yours home is... Home Game. And I'm gonna recommend Homemade Modern. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. I've watched Ben's preview of this floating bed for the last few days, and I just keep thinking to myself, it's got to be a photo. It's got to be a trick. 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 And he just posted the video, well, probably in a, yesterday afternoon, and I finally get a chance to watch it while we've been, we've been talking. And it is so elegantly, beautifully designed, and Ben did it again. He always yeah, does. He always it. does. And he did a beautiful, stylized, interesting floating bed. And I'm going to say right now, and I just posted the comment while we were talking, Everybody in the audience, lobby saw stop, bombard saw stop with messages to get Ben and the guys over at the ranch a saw stop. Because every single time I watch somebody over at the Maker Ranch use that <laughs> extremely dangerous grizzly, I think grizzly, it's, it's orange. So I guess it's what is the Home Depot version rigid. of a saw? What is it? A rigid. It is a rigid with no guard on it. It is. I know that saw because we had one on one of the TV shows and I hate it. It is so dangerous. Every time somebody on the set went near it, I would cringe. I would look away. I'd c- put protective gear on so I wouldn't get blood on me. <laughs> so if anybody cares anything about Ben and the team and Jesse and, and the guys over there, lobby saw stop. I'm just I'm just doing a public thing. There. We need to get the Maker Ranch a saw stop. Go. That reminds me when the when the crew was over on Monday, uh, w- doing the hardwood flooring. I saw the one guy freehand cutting on the table saw notches out of the flooring boards and some of the the trim, uh-huh. just like uh, freehand into the table saw, backing out, turning it. I'm. Mean, it's probably a very common thing for contractors, <laughs> yeah. but as a as a woodworker, I'm looking at it. I'm going, oh my! Goodness. <laughs> you should have just walked out with like a first aid kit and just set it on this table saw and walked away. <laughs> Like here you go, just in case. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's my that's my recommendation. Ben, just it's just amazing. I just love watching Ben just so elegantly make everything. I haven't watched that video yet, but the thumbnail is fantastic. Ben's really good at 
just design in general and then the, the thumbnails really sell his videos and I, that video is on the on the list of things to watch today right on all right well uh i guess that's it for this week we're gonna go do the after show so you guys got anything else all right cool well thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you next time r2d2 is here and he says goodbye (laughs) (laughs) that was a chicken (laughs) 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 it's r2d2 saying he loves it thanks